0: and a leader in pelvic health. And we're gonna have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey, Nicole. Hello. This is a fun topic today, and this is prompted by the fact that we just hired another awesome physical therapist here at Public Sanity. And every time that happens, we always get a bunch of interesting questions, and we oftentimes turn those interesting questions into podcasts, just like this one. So the question that came up was, basically, do you do the same things? Do you look at the same aspects for every evaluation that you do, or should that be something that's completely unique to every patient?
0: Yeah. And this was not a really good question because I think that that that's something that we all kind of struggle with. Like, are we providing individualized care or are we providing like protocol-based physical therapy? And that really gets down to what's really the best way, quote unquote, to perform an initial evaluation. And we go over this quite a bit in pelvic pt essentials what actually your thought process should be during an initial evaluation but there are certain aspects of the evaluation that we're going to go over to talk about like to really answer this question
1: so that was i don't know an interesting thing for me not knowing anything about doing an initial evaluation but i know everybody's always talking about you want yeah individualized care for everybody that things should change based on the person in front of you. You should be flexible with those things. With limited time, I can imagine you'd need to prioritize differently for different people. But your answer surprised me a little bit. So, Nicole, the million-dollar question, should you be doing the same things in each evaluation?
0: Yeah, so all of those things that Jesse just said are totally true. We do want to be able to change what you're looking at based on symptoms and tailor a initial evaluation to the patient that's sitting in front of you. That is 100% true. However, my answer is that all of us should have a pretty decent flow and a pretty decent checklist that is similar across almost like a blueprint to what you want the initial evaluation to look like. Which is the framework? Which is the, the the checklist of things that you want to double check and make sure are good, or checking to see if something is dysfunctional and does that relate to a patient's symptom? So the way that I look at it is that if we have a framework that is consistent with our ethos of what we want to look at and in the, in the ways that we want to evaluate a patient then it makes deviating from that in an individualized manner much more tailored and much more
1: you're straying but you're straying within boundaries
0: yeah you're straying you're straying with a purpose you're straying with a purpose Ooh, and I then like you could come back to things to double check off of your checklist of things that you should be going off of. But I guess my point is that you definitely need to have a framework by which you're working off of from then which you can deviate from and stray from, but again, with a purpose so that you're not missing anything on the back end of the evaluation.
1: And is that just a mental checklist? Is that an actual physical checklist? How does that come to be? I know you're talking about a framework, but what does that mean in practice?
0: So I think that essentially, I mean, basically the, the younger you are as a pelvic PT, and this just goes for, I don't care if you have a million years of ortho PT experience, you know, if you are a newer therapist to pelvic floor conditions, then it needs to be more structured than less structured. I mean, I can get away with this now that I've been doing the same thing for 15 years. But the whole point with this is that when you are newer, and I'm talking newer, like five years into pelvic PT, less than that, then in order to be able to see pattern recognition and to categorize patients and to be able to, you can only skip steps when you know that you've gone through and seen patterns that have changed over time. And so I think that honestly, for any new grad and or a newer pelvic PT, that does need to be an actual physical checklist that you go through that you can refer back to for each patient that you can constantly reference if you get stuck and you can relook at a bunch of things that may have changed since the first time you saw that patient and then once you sort of get in a very good flow like that I could like for right now for instance I could rattle off all of the things that I do in an initial evaluation and then but for somebody that's newer, that might not be as innate, right? That might not be as as automatic now. So it's automatic for me now because I've done it so many times. And then in that way, you can deviate when you need to.
1: I want to go back to that idea of seeing patterns and it being important to be having a consistent evaluation in order to see patterns. And I think I understand a little bit about what you mean by that. But if you are not doing the same thing or generally the same thing with most people, why does that prevent you from seeing patterns as well as you should and developing that pattern recognition?
0: If you don't have a consistent framework that you're working off of, then what's our tendency? Our tendency and the hazards of doing that is, is symptom chasing, right? So is is listening to what the patient is saying, like it hurts right here, and then you are doing a lot of things to help that hurting right there section, instead of actually going through your process and seeing, well, what are the contributing factors to it hurting, quote unquote, right there, that we might find something distant from the actual place that hurts. So one of the the hazards is symptom chasing for that, which we don't want to be doing, which we want to be taking into consideration where that patient is feeling their symptoms, right? So in the case, let's say of, let's say a patient has a vulvodynia and they have right sided vulvar burning that is like very like pinpointed to, you know, the five to seven o'clock position and they're saying like it hurts right here if you don't have a consistent framework to check their posture, their breathing mechanics, their abdominal fascia, their perineal fascia, their adductors, their hip and rotation, their lumbar spine mobility, making sure that you're looking through the segmental mobility to talk to see the differential diagnosis for that spot on that area, right? If you don't have a framework also for the internal exam then what is our tendency? Our tendency is to hyper-focus then on right where they are saying their pain is and then picking up the objective dysfunction that we see right around that area, but then we get so myopic in our view that we don't pick up some of the underlying whys and or some of the contributing factors to that symptom presentation that is gonna really be the game changer for getting them that, that lasting relief And really uncovering the root cause of what is going on from that pain perspective. So that's one of the big hazards.
1: That makes a lot of sense in terms of, again, that seeing patterns as developing as well, where if you are doing that differently, if you're vulvodynia patient, you're looking at the vulva. If you're a pudendal neuralgia patient, you're looking only or focusing, hyper-focusing early on, on the path of the pudendal nerve, and you're not looking at, let's say, posture. You're never going to be able to put the pieces together of like, oh, that postural pattern is something I've seen before.
0: Totally, right. So then you don't have any like comparison. It doesn't help you at all with prognosticating. Like, And then there's the physical aspects of pattern recognition. And then there's also the, what subjective questioning things are you asking them for other types of pattern recognition? What personality traits are these patients coming in with this certain pain presentation or this certain way of describing their pain? If we don't have any framework by which we are working on then it just becomes N equals one every single time. And that doesn't really lead us to make inferences and and things about some of their other aspects of their presentation.
1: I actually feel like that might be brilliant. That was just like a little bit of a light bulb moment too of if your questions change based on what the patient comes in with, if you're not asking all of the same things, you're not picking up a consistent data set that you can say, Oh, I can cluster this, I picked this pattern out, I can see that now. If the person comes in with vulvodynia and literally all you ask about is their vulvodynia and ignore the part about their fall on the tailbone, for example, because who cares, that's in the back, the vulva's in the front. See guys, I know anatomy. <laughs> then but you'll never get to actually see that pattern that you can find with all these different people, these little clusters of things and personality, and it's not just the physical, I think is a huge point that you just brought up.
0: Yeah, totally. So like, you know, that's where I really feel like backing up from the actual objective gathering portion of our exam is that is your intake form, and this is what we go over in essentials, right? But is your intake form consistent? Does it is it asking the right questions? Is it getting information that your patient wouldn't otherwise think to ask you. And so in that same way, you're getting objective information in a checklist type fashion of making sure that you are checking their diaphragm excursion, their rib mobility, their thoracic spine mobilization or mobility, because a patient's not going to come to you and say, I have really poor interabdominal pressure management and my rib cage is stuck and I can't get taken a good breath. Like that's not what they're going to say to you. So if you only rely on their symptoms, what they're telling you, I pee when I sneeze or I pee when I bend down to pick up my kid, excuse me, I have incontinence when I bend down to pick up my kid, then we're never going to be able to get to other parts of our evaluation if we don't have a checklist of things that we are also taking into account.
1: So let me push back on this question a little bit. So how do we customize the experience for each patient? Because obviously people are coming in with very different histories, very different symptoms, very di- all of that stuff is very different and aren't you getting into protocol-based therapy or How do you draw the line where you're trying to individualize it, but you're not just checking off the boxes? How does it change even within the framework that you have?
0: So I would say the answer to that question is this is where I want people to think about the evaluation taking, not just one session. And really what it comes down to is prioritizing the things that you look at in the first visit in that quote unquote initial evaluation and tailoring that to what's gonna give you the biggest bang for your buck in figuring out, in addressing their symptoms, but then also taking into account other aspects of what might be driving those symptoms. And so there is also the problem where if you don't do that, then again, you're just going into some of that symptom-chasing aspect and then so what you end up can end up doing then is then having a another checklist basically of things to look at in that next visit and double check that maybe we need to rule out your lumbar spine issue even though you don't have back pain right now so you're not saying that you have back pain we know that the lumbar spine can be influential in in some of the pelvic floor functionings right so we're going at their primary symptom we're going to defer looking at their spine because number 1 they're not complaining of it so if we go there then they're going to have like less buy in on that first visit but we don't we still know that there's significant amounts of clinical reasons why we would want to assess that area even if it's asymptomatic so we would defer that in particular to the next visit to complete the thorough evaluation. But again, it doesn't, the big answer to that is that you need to be thinking about your evaluation as lasting two or even three visits so that that entire framework is then you get, you hit all of the aspects of it to cross your T's and dot your I's. And then you can individualize and prioritize things that are important to the patient to their symptom presentation in that very first visit in order to get the best buy-in for them.
1: So freeing yourself from that idea that you have to have the initial evaluation done in that first visit sounds like a huge mindset shift. I wanted to dive into something else that you said just about prioritizing things in that first visit that are gonna get buy-in. Can you talk a little bit more about how you do that without compromising your checklist, your framework without compromising that and without symptom chasing, but also making them feel like you're not just going down your checkbox. Somebody comes in with like vulvodynia and you're up at their thoracic spine. I don't really know where the thoracic spine is, but it sounds like a patient could be like, well, what the hell? I came in for my yeah, like stuff. my Yeah,
0: like, my vulva hurts. Like, why are you up here at my neck? So I want you to think about categorizing things into like my stuff like what are the things that i know that i need to look at in order to to thoroughly rule in or rule out certain contributing factors to those patient symptoms that's going to be one section and then what are the things that they're saying are really important to them that we need to also incorporate into our evaluation. And we need to have a blend of that where it's probably more biased into their stuff in the beginning, in the very first visit. And then we need to be completing our checklist to make sure that all our T's are crossed and all our I's are dotted so that we can, so that's like our stuff. But if we only let patients the patient stuff dictate where we're going, then we are going to miss a lot of things that are contributing to their symptoms and or relevant to their story where they may not have even seen a huge connection.
1: So obviously you're not letting the patient dictate the kind of care they get. They're in there for your expert opinion. You want to hear what they have to say, but also that doesn't let you abdicate the responsibility to actually look at the stuff.
0: Yeah, we have a huge responsibility to make sure that all of the contributing factors to stuff is taken care of. So we can't just always do every single thing that they want to do and everything that's important to them. But that doesn't mean that we're not doing patient-focused care. And that's where I think that sometimes like these buzzwords and these phrases get bastardized into letting it infiltrate our clinical thinking when that doesn't need to be happening. So we should have a framework for what we think is important during an evaluation. We should stick to that we should be prioritizing certain aspects of that to make sure that the patient is feeling like we're addressing their needs and all of that. But that, but patients don't know shit about shit half the time. So they don't know that their bowels and their constipation is related to their urinary urgency or frequency. They don't know that their jaw pain and the fact that they just had, right when their pain started, they changed their orthodontist, changed their bite structure, and now they're having pain with intercourse, like they don't know that those things are related. And so they might not tell us those aspects. And so that's our job to make sure that we're doing our own due diligence and going through our checklist of things to make sure that we're not missing a huge portion of their health history or their contributing factors to why this started in the first place. And so we can't always let them dictate what we're doing in our evaluation.
1: Got it. And then if they think that there's a connection between things and it's not something that you're deciding to prioritize in that initial evaluation, you know, they think something's related, but you know, hey, that's not really in in that my stuff category. I don't think that's really... How do you address that with them if you're not going to do that in the initial evaluation?
0: Yeah, this all comes down to communication. So let's say you have a patient that is really super duper convinced that, I guess I'll use the jaw analogy here, right? So they are super convinced that they read somewhere that TMJ and pelvic floor is connected. That is what they think is happening. They really want you to like, figure that out and look at their pelvic floor and their jaw, right? So that is something that you can prioritize either. So you have two, it's like, choose your own adventure. And this is a conversation that the patient can sometimes even choose. But bottom line is that you're going to do all of it. It's just a matter of when. So if that part of you say, okay, you know, so-and-so. Judy, I really, I'm so interested in this connection. I do believe that that exists. Now, here's our choice. We can either do a thorough exam of your upper jaw and what I I need to do then is look at your neck and your shoulder function and how you're stabilizing through there and all of that and your pelvic floor. So we can do that today. Or we can look at what's actually causing your pelvic floor symptoms. We can do all of the things that I would be doing if we weren't gonna look at your jaw, like your inner thighs and your do a back screen and look at your hips and all that kind of stuff. Either way, we're gonna do all of it. We just need to talk about what we're gonna to do today with our limited time that we have here. And so that can be a two-way conversation if your patient is super savvy and good to go and can talk to you about it and, and is all on board. Or you can just say, This is what we're gonna do today, and we're gonna do this next time. And you can choose to pick either one of those things. Either we're gonna totally take a really in depth look at your jaw and your pelvic floor today. What that means is we're not gonna have a chance to get to your tailbone and your back and some of your hip stuff that I do think is really important. So we're gonna do that next time. Or we're gonna say, okay, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna basically take from your belly button down, we're gonna assess today. And then from your belly button up, we're gonna assess next time. And by the end of your visit two, we're gonna have everything evaluated and then we can put a uh, bow in the what we think the driving factors are to your primary pelvic floor symptoms.
1: But you have to acknowledge when they have their...
0: Yes, 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 yes. We have to acknowledge and we have to... We can basically prioritize together because it is a conversation, right? It's basically a little bit of an even a negotiation, a little bit. And then you can really see they can be a part of that decision-making process. You can convey that it isn't... Like, we're doing all of these things no matter what your choice is in which order. It's kind of like a little kid, right? You give them the choices that you're going to be okay with. They feel like they get to totally choose their own path but either way like this is what's happening
1: cool so i think that really helps i'm um, just to kind of summarize and wrap up i thought some of the really big things that you said here that are gonna resonate with some people one is just freeing yourself from the idea that you have to have your initial evaluation just done on day one like because that's what we call it that's the spot on the schedule that says evaluation and the next spot says follow-up therefore that's like a meaningful distinction. You're saying abandon that idea completely.
0: Dude, totally. And in fact, if you think that you are doing a full evaluation in one visit, I can guarantee you that you're not doing a thorough of enough job to look at all the aspects and all the contributing factors to treatment, period. And I'd be willing to have a debate on that with anybody that thinks that they can do that in an hour with, even in an hour. So if you have less than that, you certainly can't get it all done in that amount of time, but even with an hour, by the time your patient ends up talking and really let them tell their story, even if you truncate that to like 15 minutes and then you have to leave time to like talk to them about what they're gonna do at home and all that stuff, this leaves not that much time for objective exams, you guys. And this is, there is so much for us to be looking at to make sure that we are doing a thorough evaluation, which by the way, can include rectal treatment as well, which we don't ever talk about, which is why I did a whole course on it. But like, there are so many things to look at as contributing factors to a patient's symptom presentation, because we have to look at what is the pelvic floor component? What is the external factor component? And there might be more than one. Why is this happening right now? Which is also something, why did this just happen? three months ago versus a year ago? And then what's the other extenuating kind of big picture reason why? So if we have to explore all of those things, we cannot do that in one visit. So we just need to abandon the the assumption that that's like magic, that one visit is magic, because it's really not, and we should be constantly evaluating and revisiting and assessing our patients.
1: And then having that either mental or actual checklist of what you need to know. And then if you do deviate, you at least know what you're deviating from and have the ability to come back to that. So it's not something that gets lost. It's not something where you get hyper-focused on the first thing you happen to see. right? It's having that consistency in your evaluations that lets you start to see patterns and all of that stuff that you were talking about earlier, all those other benefits of just being consistent with your evaluation process.
0: Right. So again, like if we have a list of things that we definitely know influence pelvic floor muscle function, and us pelvic PTs, like that is a mile and a half long then in order for you to thoroughly evaluate your patient and make sure that nothing is lurking somewhere where it's not super obvious that that's a contributing factor, then we have to make sure that we are looking there. Another great example about this is like, I cannot tell you how many times if I didn't have this checklist to look at somebody's standing foot posture and their ankle mobility, I would have missed so many underlying reasons why a pelvic floor problem exists. There are surgeries that people forget to tell you about. There's crush injuries that people forget to tell you about. There's ankle sprain problems. There's mobility issues. There's just straight up range of motion. There's proprioception issues. There's all kinds of things that can influence how your pelvic floor is functioning and how that contact on the ground and locomotive propulsion happens that if that's not dialed in and good, then it can influence how your pelvic floor is acting. But people aren't going to tell you at the very beginning that it's because their problem is because of their foot issue. We have to make sure that we have that on a checklist so that we revisit it. Now, if something in their pelvic health history sort of leads us to think that that's a prioritization for that first initial evaluation, then we have the same conversation as the jaw situation, right? We need to look down here. We need to do this. You know, This is why we're gonna focus so much on here because you told me that you have a bunch of injuries that can affect how you've been walking and the patterns that your pelvic floor has to be working off of. And we're gonna focus here on this. And then next time we're gonna get to looking up at your abdomen and your breathing and stuff like that. Right. So again, it's that we are using the framework to have as a consistent thing that we're looking at. And then if, and when we deviate in order to individualize care, we're doing it for a reason. And then we have a framework to come back to, to make sure that we're thoroughly assessing all the aspects of pelvic health care
1: boom, knowledge bombs dropped. Guys, I hope this helps you start to think about being more consistent in that initial evaluation process. If you guys have questions about this, if you want to learn a little bit more, feel free to shoot Nicole a email, a DM. As always, we want to keep this conversation going
0: and let's continue to rise.